Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What's up, Internet? Welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. This week, I'm joined by scene writer Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. And also podcast producer Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I have gathered you all here today to talk about the Vision Pro, Apple's new spatial computing headset, which is really just a virtual reality headset. Um, we've all tested it a bit. I've been writing my review um, for days now. I think the copy is finally done. So we'll be diving into that. And we've got some news. Um, but really, it's, it's all Vision Pro all the time over here. Uh, Sherlyn is taking a much needed break. So everybody send her your well wishes. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. So let's talk Vision Pro. And I feel like, you know, I, I've had a lot of thoughts and words uh, about this thing and certainly on the show. But Sam... I'm interested in your perspective. You have tried this thing for the first time. You have also done a lot of VR, and you've done you know VR coverage and re- reviews as well. Um, you only tested it for a little bit, but what do you think of the Vision Pro so far? My first big takeaway is the optics are just so good. Between the lenses and the displays that they got in there, this is the new like you know high watermark for. Hey, if you can't make a high-end VR headset that looks as good as at least just visually as good as the Vision Pro does. Don't bother. Like we're, we're, you know, this is where it's at, and we can only go better from here. Um, I don't want to go backwards anymore. Now, the other thing is that, like, I think some of the, uh, you know, the design and the stuff, it, it very much feels like Apple is coming in and doing its classic thing of, hey, we're gonna take this existing technology and we're going to polish out or round off a lot of the hard edges because the onboarding process for the Vision Pro is super easy. And they've also done a really good job of making eye tracking just, hey, it, it's one of those it just works kind of things. And they're, it's, they're really good about that. Mm, it, it works most of the time. And it makes your eyes work really hard. Yeah, so for both Sam and Ben to try out the Vision Pro, I had to turn on guest mode, which uh, did some optimization for their eyes, but it's not it's not the full thing. So I do think like guest mode may also miss some of the uh, adjustments and tweaks that it does for like the, the main user. For sure. I mean, um, I, at least yeah. in my experience, I had a nearly flawless thing. And even just the stuff like you put it on and it automatically adjusts for IPD because, hey, if we're talking in a world where headsets are going to be worn by everybody you can't expect everybody to know their exact ipd or even what ipd means it just has to do that for you and the vision also, Pro definitely like, does that on other headsets you would have to like manually either move the lenses or twist the dial or something and what's cool is that whenever somebody new tries the vision pro or you set it up for the first time you hold down the crown and it like you can hear it like electronically moving the lenses to adjust for basically where the center of your eyes are and that's just super cool. So let me just say, like, so Sam, you've tried a couple things. Ben, first impressions, you know, based on testing it? It was really amazing when it worked because 
it was so much fun. Like I didn't have to do any kind of clunky reaching that would make me look like a total dork to everyone outside of what I was seeing in augmented reality spatial computing. Once I got the hang of it, I was sitting very normally and just like tapping two fingers together to swipe through apps. And I thought that was really cool. Just sitting there and wearing it looks dorky. Like you cannot escape that. No matter what Apple does, like that is... It looks like you're wearing a very, very expensive ski visor. It does. And you may not have seen this, Ben, and also Sam, but like when people were walking by... Everybody was doing like a double take, like who? What is this alien doing in the middle of our office yeah, kitchen? Uh, there, there yeah. was a couple of times when, uh, like, right before I left, uh, you know, I plugged it into charge because it was, you know, it runs out of battery relatively quickly. Um, and I noticed that, like, while we were like off doing other stuff, some people from the office were coming by and taking photos of it while I was sitting on the counter charging, which I just thought was interesting because it's like, you know, we're always testing out like expensive, like weird stuff, but nothing got the attention the way that the Vision Pro did. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Like people know what it is. They also know it's this like rare techno- technological object. Um, so it, it has that like, I don't know, that aura of it, of being something new, but also something Apple is hyping up. So let me tell you guys, I don't write long reviews. I think I even made fun of Sherlyn or uh, for somebody's long review. It was Richard Lai who had written a review of one of the recent Samsung phones, I think. And Sherlyn was like, you know, she was saying like, Richard Lai wrote a very nice long review. I typically try to keep my reviews tight, okay? 1,500 to 2,000 words. I started writing about the Vision Pro Monday night, the night of my birthday, because I realized this is just going to, I need to like get words down because I have so many thoughts about it. It is now Thursday morning. My copy is done. I've clocked 5,300 words about wow. the Vision Pro because okay. there's just so much to talk about. It is a brand new thing, even though it is like like you're saying, Sam, it is Apple coming in to a field that already exists, but also kind of looking at everybody's mistakes and trying to fix them, trying to do something different, while also, I think, repeating some of those mistakes. But yeah, this thing is so fascinating. Like, it is like seeing the Mac for the first time or the first iPhone for the first time. It feels like a sea change in, like, what computing could be. But also, like, there are problems, and we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, clearly I have a lot of thoughts. I can understand, like, why so many reviews, like, also went long about this thing. So speaking of building on things that other companies did and maybe weren't successful at, let's acknowledge some of the lineage of the Vision Pro. So I've been reading so much other media about the Vision Pro. A lot of the reviews mention the HoloLens as maybe like one of the things that started, what was it? Augmented reality, or was it spatial computing? Well, like, it was it was augmented reality or mixed reality, as Microsoft called it. But that was Hololens and the first Magic Leap was uh, were kind of being hyped around the same time. But I think Microsoft had some really good demos of that first uh, of that first Hololens. But what people didn't realize is that the demo videos we saw were like CG recreations. But the first Hololens oh. had a really really small field of view, so it was it was like looking through a really small pair of like binoculars or something. And actually that's the part where you could see augmented reality. Same thing for Magic Leap and Mag- Magic Leap kind of failed as a company. They have another set of glasses now too, but they, they like failed spectacularly. Microsoft by all intents um, focused on enterprise and like military uses for HoloLens. And yeah, that apparently yeah. didn't work out. Like it sounds like that business is kind of struggling too. Meanwhile, Meta has invested tens of billions of dollars and also Oculus, like even before it was bought by uh, by Facebook and Meta, Oculus had raised like, I think, a lot, a lot of money 
from uh, Andreessen Horowitz and other people. So that's also money that went into fixing, you know, this entire sphere. So what we're looking at with the Vision Pro is a, um, it's not an augmented reality headset, but it is a VR headset with uh, augmented reality pass-through. So it uses a ton of cameras on the front to show you a digital version of the real world. And then it paints, you know, virtual objects on top of that. So you're always seeing a feed, a video feed of the real world. So that's what makes it not quite augmented reality. But I also think that's why Apple is bringing up this idea of spatial computing. What do you guys think? Like you you have seen a glimpse of this, but what do you think of the vision of spatial computing? You know, you put this thing on and you see a home screen in front of you. You see like icons and like sharp resolution over the real world. Like what was your first reaction putting this thing on? Um, I would just say like it for for someone who has a chance to have, you know, tried pretty much all the major VR headsets, it just like that leap in just visual fidelity was such a, like it, it just made me feel good because it's like I, I wasn't struggling. It's like and, and I tried to like, you know, look for screen door effect or God rays coming from all, all this and you just can't find it. And so it, it's just nice to see like, OK, those problems are solved and now we can move forward because now it's like. Hey, this technology, even with like, yes, it's expensive, but in using today's technology, you can make something that looks this good. And that just opens up to like, hey, what other problems can we challenge? Now we have to like look at like, hey, eye tracking and hand input. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to the keyboard typing experience uh, at some point, too. And so, like, you know, there are other, now there are other issues that, you know, are possible, but they just need to be ironed out. I, I think like if we're going to say anything about this, I think the screen Apple has implemented in this thing is... um the best screen I've ever seen on any product because it is insanely high resolution. It is 23 million pixels. That is uh, almost the same amount of pixels as, as three separate 4K monitors. So that is more than 4K, like a single 4K screen in front of each eyeball. Um, that's just wild. And this is micro OLED technology too. So it has all the benefits of OLED. That means pure blacks uh, when you're in space or in like a black screen. It, there's no backlight. There's no like. There's nothing really else to see. It is sort of like it's covering your entire vision. Um, hits high refresh rates. It hits up to 100 hertz. Um, they do this cool thing for video where it also can play back video in 24 fps and 30 fps. Um, so like the video looks smooth and there's none of the like juddering you see on a TV. Um, so like everything looks good and smooth. I've only ever seen the micro OLED screen on one other product. That's the uh, the big screen beyond VR headset which is also insanely expensive. And, you know, I reviewed that and it was cool. But that's even for like more of a niche market because you also need all the stuff from the Valve Index to use that headset. So the fact that Apple has this headset in this thing and also the spatial audio stuff, which are really cool speakers that support, you know, Dolby Atmos and other things. Um, what else? The hand tracking, I think, is is the main interface and it is so intuitive and smart and it just kind of works. And it was interesting to see you guys test it because initially you were looking at objects and you were trying to like um, do the finger gestures like right on the objects or close to the objects. And what you learn is that, no, 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 the Vision Pro sees it. If your hands are on your lap and it's like an unobstructed view, you could just like have your hands on your lap, do the pinch gesture to select things or the drag gesture. And those all just work seamlessly. Um, it's and all I these actually, things coming together. They're really cool. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually really like that because it feels like, a more natural way to use hand gestures and in when you're in a VR headset because you can sit there and it's like not actually all that different from, you know, typing on a laptop keyboard where your hands are in your lap and you're making like relatively subtle gestures. And I think 
that is going to be one of the pathways like we're going to see uh go forward a little bit is that like you can pinch in your hands and it's a relatively small gesture and you can swipe and you can just leave your hands where they are you, there, there's none of this big grand just uh gesticulating like you used to have on you know older headsets or anytime you see anyone in a VR like headset and they're playing games or like playing Beat Saber and they look like a fool because they're having this great time in a VR headset and but their hands are going all crazy yeah. and whatever and it just looks weird. But if you can just sit in a chair, yeah, you still have like this big headset on your face. Or you can sit in a chair and just like you know make relatively subtle gestures and get everything you need to done just without you know big arm movements. It feels like a lot more approachable and you're not just you know gonna piss off everyone else who's in the room. <laughs> I mean, I had to warn uh, both you and Ben about, like, swinging too much to the left because people were, like, walking behind you in our office. Um, it does avoid the, like, minority report thing of, like, you know, Tom Cruise had to put on gloves to use that whole, like, virtual interface, which is so cool. Uh, some things do require that. If you're moving windows around a virtual window, you have to look at it uh, with your eyes, pinch it, and then move it to a specific spot. Yeah, your hands have to go up. Um, if you're playing some games, like Synth Riders, that basically does the Beat Saber thing where you have to have your your arms kind of flying around to like play, follow these beats yeah. that are going I, around. Okay. I don't think, yeah, I know. I, I tried playing that game. game and I was wondering what was the, what the problem was uh, uh-huh. because I was trying to be so subtle and it just didn't work. Yeah, you have to pick up your arms, yeah. I don't think there's any world where playing Beat Saber in a, or any type of Beat Saber type game in a headset will never not look weird. Um, that's just how it is. It's interesting, Sam, what you said about like, I went first, then I watched you interact with the Vision Pro for the first time, and I think both of us had that behavior that was trained into us from stuff like the Oculus, where you really have to reach out. Right, you're like overemphasizing gestures because you don't trust that the headset's going to see you, but with the Vision Pro, that's much less of an issue. The bubble of like knowing where your like gesture inputs falls is not that close to your body. If it because like if it's you know maybe under the headset or something it's not going to see you at all um that is not the case with the vision pro you can really just have your hands in your lap or something and like that felt um really interesting but man did my eyes feel like they were working <laughs> well they they are working because i was um, looking so hard at everything and i mean dev you said the same thing the thing about the Vision Pro, and I want to say this up front too, like people were asking me as I was testing, it's like, should I buy this? Should I think about buying this? No, this is not a product you buy. This is not a product for most people. It is a $3,500 VR headset. That's what it is. Apple refuses to say VR, but that's what it is. Um, and it is a, something clearly meant for developers or professionals or, I don't know, weirdly cloud-chasing influencers. Like that. that's a whole thing. And I think that's like a kind of a problem in terms of how we talk about this thing. Uh, because it is a cool, you know, preview of what's to come. It feels like a live beta that Apple's just selling to everybody, and that alone is something strange for this company. Um, but what is cool is that, yeah, it has eye tracking to kind of do everything. So once you put it on, your eyes look at menu buttons or icons for apps, and they get highlighted naturally. It's almost like telepathic. I kind of likened it to uh, to learning to use the Force in Star Wars or something. Like you just have this ability. You've always had your eyes, but now you can look at digital objects and select them, and it just kind of happens. So there was something cool about that, but also there's something a little tiring about that because, um, yeah, your eyes. You feel like you have to extra focus your eyes. Some like uh, touch elements or some gaze elements are kind of small if you're browsing the web. 
Uh, I think like YouTube's website is kind of really bad for this because there is no YouTube app yet. So if you go to the website, there are like all these buttons. There's a thumbs up button. There's all the little things YouTube has. And sometimes when you just want to hit the one thing, the eye gaze can't quite do it. So you find yourself kind of staring or squinting to try to focus on that. There, there's this definite like phenomenon of like try, you're yeah. trying to look extra hard at something yes. because it's like you you obviously you know where you're looking, but like you're you're just trying to like emphasize this to make sure that you know when you you know pinch your fingers, it's you know tapping the right button, and it, it's a very interesting learning curve. And there's also like another part of that because um, you know naturally when you're like out in the world. You uh, your eyes will look something, but your head will also follow it, and so there's a definite like transition where you're like, oh, I don't need to move my head, and then you're just a lot more conscious about you know moving your eyes to different elements while not moving your head, and that mm-hmm. actually takes a little bit of practice. I also think you got to move your head a little bit too. It's it's like it's a learning experience. First, you have the wow factor, the neo whoa. I can do this now, or, you know, Luke Skywalker discovering what the Force is. But then it feels like uh, you get enough time in there. You're Luke Skywalker on Dagobah trying to raise the X-Wing from the swamp, right? And you're, like, struggling, and you're straining, like, just hit that button, and it doesn't quite work. Um, I think part of that is just due to the bugginess of the platform so far. Like, clearly, this is early stuff, and I think that's the wildest thing about this. We've never seen Apple be so kind of naked about, hey, we have this tech. It is here, but it's not fully polished yet. Um, somebody buy this thing and tell us like what does and doesn't work. So we've seen examples of that. There have been so many updates, like almost uh, every couple of days I see a small update for the Vision Pro. Most recently, the personas, those digital like avatars um, in the new developer update, the 1.1 update, they look dramatically better than the one I initially created when I got the Vision Pro. So just the fact that Apple's looking at the feedback, looking at what's not working and like, I assume like people are just there working like overboard to really um, to kind of fix fix these things in real time. That's interesting because we're really used to Apple being the company out here with the fully polished idea. And we forget like, you know, the first Mac was a really interesting idea, but it was also very expensive and not many people bought it. The first iPhone was a really unpolished thing. It was a great vision of like what smartphones could be, but it took a while for them to add 3G and even an app store and other things. So Apple is a company that sometimes just like launches a thing and kind of waits to see what happens. I think the first Apple Watch was kind of that way too because that only mirrored the iPhone and had no like processing on its own. So Apple does do early products sometimes, but this feels like the earliest one. Does this feel strange to you, Sam? Um no, I, I think you you definitely kind of nailed that because like 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 you said, even going back to the previous Apple examples, the iPhone changed the way people thought about smartphones but the 3gs was the one you actually wanted to own and same thing for the apple II. the apple II was a wildly successful computer compared to the the original um and so i definitely see that like you know this is where we're you know headed and and you know we we, we talk about this apple had to make this hardware just so they had a platform going forward um, for people to use. And you know, it's kind of funny because like we were in the office yesterday and we had some, you know, someone stop by and they're like, they, they asked us like, Hey, sh- should I get one? And you know, you had a very clear answer to that. <laughs> like, no, no, do not. That's the tough thing is I think Apple kind of painted itself into a corner here because this is early hardware. And I felt like they could have been careful and be like, we're going to see this to, to developers. We're going to like get people out here. We're going to like really work on this. But to have it in the store, to be selling it to consumers and to have all these commercials out here, just being like, this is the next step of computing, it feels like Apple can't help itself. But right, like, you normally don't up. sell dev yeah. kits to the public. And so I think that's yeah. like one of the weird decisions that Apple has made with what is supposed to be something for developers. 
I, I think that's ultimately it. Like, even Apple has kind of referred to it as an early kit or a beta kit. A lot of the software, like the personas, have a beta tag on them, which, again, feels strange for Apple to just be putting this out here for public view. Maybe they have to do this because th- this is not something they just started building. You know, to get to this point, Apple had to be looking at the Oculus headsets, thinking about, like, what it would do with the headset for a while. And it's also not like... Um, it's not like Apple has been wasting time over the past decade, right? They have transitioned to their own mobile chips. They have, um, I think, brought a lot of new things into the iPhone. They've even brought, like, neural engines into iPhone chips, too. But people feel like they missed the boat on AI, or at least generative AI. I think Apple is, like, very aware that they need a new thing after the iPhone. And we've talked about the innovator's dilemma, the ability for companies who are very successful to just kind of coast on the thing that is working for them. That happened with Sony, with TVs. Uh, They were like, we have these Trinitron CRT tubes. They're amazing. Nothing will beat this. And they totally missed out on the flat panel market. Um, It happens to everybody. I think it's kind of fascinating to see Apple doing a thing, being like, hey, we don't know if this works, but this could be the thing. That is the post-iPhone thing. So Uh, you're saying that this big swing, like even though it looks clunkier than you would expect from an Apple product, is trying to get out of the innovators rut i th- i think that is ultimately it. like when people when they launched the the iphone they were coasting high on the ipod and everybody's like why would you make something that would kill your most successful consumer electronics gadget right now you know the iphone killed the ipod because it was an ipod and eventually like you just needed one thing but i think that was a really smart view of like where things were headed and what technology is available and Hey, Steve Jobs is not here anymore. The same designers aren't here anymore. But clearly, like, I think this is a smart thing for Apple to get into. Let's talk about, like, some of the things we were able to do in the Vision Pro. And let's talk about the immersive stuff, because I think that is the thing that feels so different. So both of you got to check out um, Apple's immersive video technology, which is a 180-degree video shot in 3D, 8K. They look impossibly high resolution. Uh, There is one about a highliner the Apple TV adventure show. There's one, there's an Alicia Keys uh, sound session where you can be in a studio with her. What did you guys think of those things? For me, this is like what I always wanted 3D TV to be. Like you get that immersiveness, you get the really high fidelity and you're not having to worry about like low frame rates like you do on 3D, a lot of 3D TVs or kind of that stuttering effect that you'll get sometimes if you go to the movie theaters and you have those like, you know, the 3D glasses. It just, and it's like, if if this was a 3D-ness that came out when people were making their big pitch for 3D TVs like 10 years ago, we would have had a hugely different like ecosystem uh, today. And so it's like, it's nice to finally see like, yes, this is probably not the way that people imagined it was going to happen, but it's nice to see that idea of a technology sort of come to fruition. It's like, hey, high fidelity, it looks great. And it's like, it gives you that sense of immersion that you really, really want from something like this in a way that it's not really, obviously it's expensive, but it's not asking for any more from the user to experience in the right way. I I think that like the whole thing about 3D movies, like I lived through that. I covered movies during that whole thing. And that was certainly, that was a time when Hollywood was like, oh, we can pay more. We could charge more for tickets just by shooting movies this way. Like that was, it felt like a greedy thing. I mean, isn't that how Avatar, the first Avatar Uh got to be like the highest grossing movie of all time? It certainly helped. It certainly helped. But that's also, that was a good example of like native 3D use. Like James Cameron is a tech geek who loves to use new technology to present things in in new ways. And yeah, that that helped Avatar, you know, become the biggest, uh, highest grossing movie ever made. But also 
beyond Avatar, like we did not see too many other 3D movies really take advantage of the format. There was uh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo, <laughs> some Pixar movies, but really what ha- ended up You're happening You're forgetting is, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yeah. I mean, listen, Robert Rodriguez just does like uh, even even more basic stuff. They are of the same ilk. But basically after Avatar, a lot of movies were post-converted in 3D. So they were not shot in native 3D cameras. So they looked really, really bad. Like the I was going to say, do you, do you remember the so de- debate? People would have like, should I go see the new Marvel movie in 2D yeah, or 3D? Yeah. And it's like never, never go in 3D. Th- th- that was that was like a bad choice to have consumers like have to make. Um, especially because the 3D one would cost more. And then that trickled down to bad choices in the TV market where TV makers also had 3D. It was like, okay, uh, yeah, you bought a TV with 3D. Now you have to buy these glasses. Do you have the passive or the active glasses? Oh, you have active glasses? Okay, you got to charge those glasses. They also cost $50 a pair. It was just never a great experience. Um, I do want to be clear. Apple is not the first VR headset company to do something cool with 3D videos. Like, 360-degree 3D videos have been a thing in VR for a long time. I think they're cool, but I also think, like, philosophically and uh, actually, like, in use, they're kind of messy because it's hard to focus on action and also because you have all that video. There's so much resolution being uh, thrown at stuff you're not seeing, whereas I think the 180-degree format for spatial video is like, okay, that is how you see the world. You see the world kind of with one side there is depth to it. When Alicia Keys is singing at you, it feels like you're in the room with her and it feels uncomfortable because she's singing right at you and it almost feels like this is there's like some social faux pas happening here. I was going to say, you don't get serenaded yeah. every day in real life? I, I wish, <laughs> yeah. It really did feel like a fly-on-the-wall moment. But I also remember asking, like, okay, there are multiple cameras around the room. And I was like, hey, can I, like, select a camera? And you said no. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, this is a demo thing. I can see that maybe being a possibility in the future for, like, other immersive videos. Because why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? I I don't think it would be that difficult. Yeah, I don't think it would be that difficult to implement on top of everything else. It's just, it's the amount of data, right? Like, so these are 8K video files and the Alicia Keys one is cool because you were in a studio and you can see 3D cameras kind of situated above like tower speakers around her, which are all kind of cool. So it's cool to even get that. You see, that thing is so cool because you can see like the brand names of the equipment she's using. You can see like, oh, somebody left a cup of tea on the piano and that's just these little bits. It feels like you were really there. You see the awkward people on a couch watching the session who are probably like, her agent and like you know people in PR like they're just like scrolling their phones while Alicia Keys is doing magic. Yeah. I wonder if they actually like put in some extra doodads because I saw like a, a scent diffuser or you know like a humidifier like going off on one of the pianos and you see the and like a of candle. Smoke, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, so you could really see all of the details and you know maybe they wanted to show that off. Did you both try, try out the uh, the dinosaur experience demo? Because that's yeah, that the, was great. That is the one thing where it feels like Apple has sat down and produced a full on immersive virtual reality session. Uh, I tested it last year. That's the thing where Sherlin freaked out when the butterfly landed on yes, her hand. Yes, yes, we all experienced yeah. the butterfly, all the terrifying the butterfly. butterfly. Now, unless you have <laughs> irrational fears of like you know very cute creatures, like I thought that was a great touch. Like you know, I have the little butterfly float over and it comes sits on your finger. It's like. Oh, this is great. I mean, for me, it was like stuttering a little bit if I like, you know, moved my hand too much. True, which, true. You know, I you sort of understand because hey, you know, it's reading your hand position and like, you know, angling, c- computing the angles based on that. But yeah, it, it, but it was just like I was just like, you know, very much felt like 
hey, I could be looking at, like, you know, if I was in a time machine, this is, like, something that I might imagine to see if I popped out in the Jurassic area. This is, um, I mean, again, there have been all sorts of VR demos like this, but what is cool is that Apple made this thing. Um, the dinosaurs, uh, once, like, basically a virtual window pops up on a wall of your room, like, wherever you start doing it. And you get a view into the prehistoric, you see small dinosaurs, you see a butterfly, then big dinosaurs come. Not quite like T-Rex levels, but big dinosaurs. And what's cool is that they lean out of that virtual wall, and then you can kind of see them sticking out. And you could see the your ceiling, your floor, up and above these objects, but they're out. And it's like they're in the room with you and that sort of thing. That's that, like that breaking cool of the fourth wall trick. when that yeah. happens... Yeah, it's like, it's just like, oh, wow. That was one of the only times when it was like, wow, 3D, as if, you know, like 10 or 15 years ago, that was like the thing that needed to happen to show you that it was 3D. And that's, I've been seeing that in VR for basically the last decade, you know, like with so many demos with VR at places like Tribeca and, you know, film festivals and stuff like we've seen these demos. What's cool is like, you know, it, it happens seamlessly. It does not require like room scale tracking, you know, like other VR headsets, they have to like scan your room. It all kind of happens automatically with the Vision Pro. What is weird though is that that dinosaur demo is the same one I saw last year. And I'm surprised that Apple launched this thing without um, without developing something new. I'm sure only, you know, only a handful of people saw those demos. So they didn't like really need to do that. But I do wonder if Apple's like committed to actually exploring the immersive possibilities of uh, of the Vision Pro, because what it really is, it's just a computer. It is a computer running an M2 chip. It has 16 gigabytes of RAM. Once you, you know, put it on, you see a home screen, you launch Safari, you use it like um, an iPad, basically, because the apps are very iPad-like. What is cool is that you can paint these virtual windows all around your room. So in my living room, I have like several set up. And when you get up and leave while wearing the Vision Pro, they're persistent. So they stay there until you reboot the device. I feel like that's a problem Apple has to solve. But I could have uh, other windows in my kitchen set up, you know, and walk up to them and then walk back to the living room, sit down in my other windows. And it just, like, it is a persistent virtual environment that is really cool. Um, but I will say, guys, like, I, I was wearing this amidst my kids, and they were, you know, wild by it. My wife was a little freaked out by it. It is still very isolating. It still feels like you're not in the world. You're, like, in a scuba suit, like, looking at the world kind of looking out there. Um, I think the eyesight cameras on the front, uh, there's a display on the front of the headset that is supposed to show a virtual representation of your eyes. It's actually oh, true. not that bright. I never saw that. Yeah, it's not that bright. So when it only works when I'm wearing it because I have it all set up for me. Oh, true, um, true, true. Yeah. But it's not that bright. It's hard to see. And I think like that's a thing Apple has been selling. And if you look in promo images, it's it looks like very visible. It's not. So that's like a thing that is not quite there for this. Um... There's just so much like they I think the most interesting thing, which you guys didn't get to see, is the ability to look at your Mac and hit a button uh, to expand your Mac screen into a virtual display. And then it's not bound by the size of your Mac. So I was doing it with a 13 inch MacBook Air. Uh, I have a 14 inch MacBook Pro with me right now. Then you could just take that virtual screen and scale it to be hundreds of inches large. Um, you, it can, you can make it wider than the actual display. So it's not even just like scaling uh, the basic Mac screen, you can have much more multitasking than you can ever do on your own mask. Um, the, the, I don't know how they do this because the latency is so little, like you can sit and type on your keyboard and it just like instantly appears on the virtual window, mousing around on the touchpad works seamlessly. Uh, and you can also like look over to a vision pro app and mouse over there and type there from the keyboard too. 
So that Mac integration, that felt like a superpower. And I was thinking, you know, if Apple, if the only thing they did was, hey, here is a $1,000 headset and all it does is blow up your Mac's display so that you have this thing. If it doesn't have any of the other features, I feel like people would be all over it, especially like creative professionals, because you can just do so much more with your Mac without being in your home studio or your home office or something. You can be in a coffee shop and be looking at giant windows, uh, or you could be working in different ways uh, anywhere in the world. I think that alone is compelling to people. Uh, the film director, John Chu, tweeted about his experience. Uh, he's stuck at home because of the L.A. floods. And he tweeted about, like, okay, he has a Vision Pro. He's tried other VR headsets. But with the Vision Pro, he was able to scale up his Mac and do some real-time editing. Uh, he's working on an adaptation of Wicked. He's doing real-time editing on a giant movie theater-sized screen just because he can wear this display. And that is, to me, that sounds fascinating. You know, that's just not possible with anything else. I was gonna, And so we, we talked a little bit about this um, off-stream yesterday. But, like, so... I guess, you know, what what do, what do you think is, like, the end goal use case of this? Do you, do you think, like, you know, for me, it seems like Apple, and we're still obviously a ways away from this, is, like, you know, we're, we're getting to a world where, hey, is a company one day going to give an employee a headset instead of a laptop? And no. it's, like... Yeah, you know that obviously there's a lot of issues with that, but like, is this is this the end goal that you see that we're we're getting towards, or is no, that I, part of the corporate loadout, the yeah. company phone, the company laptop, the company headset? Well, Doesn't some seem people, like I think, if you work in a in an office right now, like I'm just looking around our office, uh, our corporate loadouts typically IMAX for people's desks. Um, they also give people laptops, but the people who need it get bigger monitors. The people who need it have all this other equipment on their desks. And this is just another tool. Like, I see this as another tool that some people can use. Um, the idea of it replacing your computer, I think, is certainly, it's not quite the thing. You can replace computers in some respects. But what is interesting is that you still need a keyboard. Like, if you want to get to work, you need a MacBook with a keyboard or you need one of Apple's uh, wireless keyboards to get some serious typing in because the virtual keypad is not great. Uh, it is not meant for heavy typing. You can do, like, Siri-based dictation. But that is also, you know, very short bursts. You can't really, uh, I guess you could write a whole email with it, but I just haven't found that to be really no, reliable. That, that's, that's definitely a blocker in terms of mm -hmm. like being a true laptop replacement is the input yep. methods. Yep, absolutely. And then there's the issue of we're talking about this all in the context of being very desk bound. So all of the ads like Apple usually does its ads, show the Vision Pro being knit into your life. That, you know, usually you're at home, but you're, like, doing other things. You might be sitting on your couch, like, watching a movie or something, but you're also cooking, and you can, like, look over to your stove and see the timer that you placed over your stove. But it doesn't seem like that shines through in the actual like when it's actually on your face because the thing is heavy and like it is difficult to see the world through even though the latency in the video pass through is really good it's not something that you want to have on your face all the time it is something like it's hard to live in and i think apple even selling it that way is like is is also a mistake you wouldn't want to cook with this thing like i tried using it in the kitchen and 
it doesn't see fine detail very well. It doesn't see like the full array of colors. So if, like if you're browning meat or something, you're, like you want to see all of it. You also don't want to have like a expensive headset looking over a you know hot stove with steam coming out of it. It's yeah, just not. Dev, built. can you get really nerdy about that? We were talking about the DCI P3 color gamut. I don't know as much as you do. I mean, the color gamut is like what 94 percent um, of the full DCI P3 gamut, and that is like a thing. Ninety two percent, and creatives and artists want monitors with 100% because you get the full color accuracy when you do a specific shade of red it wants to, you want it to show up exactly how you want um that is not the case here you know you have very nice colors but it's not the full extent of the real world um the people walking around with this thing like in public like going uh basically walking down the street or even like riding uh, skateboards like Casey Neistat did or <laughs> driving cars like that one one insane person did, which forced the Department of Transportation to say, do not do this. This is hey, very stupid. Hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Um, it's not a way to live because you are seeing a worse version of the world. Like, it's just, it's dumb to do that. You can't um, actually use the spatial computing gestures and stuff while you're moving. So it's also... You're just doing it for the sake of being a nerd who has a $3,500 headset or doing it to get YouTube views or something like that. You're just doing it for show, even though it doesn't mean anything. And I find that just kind of offensive and stupid. And if you're in a coffee shop and it's quiet, you know, and like you're not getting anybody's way, sure, like you could use this, get some really good work done, and it's not going to bother anybody. But walking through a crowd, riding a bike, riding a skateboard, driving a car, that's uh, to me, a lot of this stuff like breaks the social contract in a way too. Like you are just for your own enjoyment, you are um, in a you know kind of a hindered state of the world in terms of how you're navigating things. And we're gonna we're definitely gonna see like accidents from this thing or people like you know falling through manholes because they didn't quite see what's below them because the field of view is good, but it's not perfect. It's not super expansive. So we're gonna see accidents because people are people and we'll do dumb things for clout. So. Yeah. Isn't this what we said about Google Glass? And I don't I'm not sure we were ever able to say that there was a definitive Google Glass injury. So I don't know. Maybe it's just different. Maybe the culture of YouTube is different because people are doing stuff for views way more now than they were in the Google Glass era. No, most definitely. Like the creator economy is so different, but also Google Glass didn't hinder your vision. It was a thing to the side of what you were seeing, but it did not like block your your real. It was time a Dragon Ball Z scouter. Yes, and and we kind of talked about this yesterday too about like it changes like the behavioral norms because even on like a lower stakes level, not you know talking about it while riding a bike or driving a car or whatever, it's like you know when we were sitting in the office yesterday, I was you know you and Ben were having a conversation while I was using the headset, and it was like I wasn't sure if like when I could jump <laughs> into the conversation right. because right. you know. I can see you, but you can't see that I'm paying attention to you. So it's like, you know, it, it's really – people are going to have to figure out how you work together with each other between, you know, mixing one person who's in a headset. And you may or may not be able to see their eyes from the uh, the display on the visor. But, like, also it's like, you know, do they know how aware that you're being of them? And there's not, not a good way to, like, kind of handle that interaction. This is why I think my review just went long is because there is so much to say. This is entirely brand new. This is Apple applying its design to an entirely new thing, but also bringing new stuff into this world too. So 
I've seen people say like, oh man, you know, VR headsets have been able to play 3D video or replicate your desktops for a while. I was like, yeah, I know. I've been there. Uh, it's not as good. Like the desktop resolution is not as good in a Quest 3 or other headsets. The seamlessness to connect to it is certainly not nearly as good. The latency is far worse. Uh, watching 3D movies is fine, but you have to get an app like Big Screen to do it. It's not like built into the headsets themselves. So like, this is just a smart way of Apple to extend what it already does. You know, I have a ton of movies in my iTunes library, and now I can go in the Vision Pro, look at all my existing iTunes library. Hey, some of those movies are in 3D now. That's cool. Could just do that. Or launch Disney Plus, and uh, they're all the Marvel movies, everything they've released in 3D. Avatar the Way. We didn't talk about this, but Avatar the Way of Water is in 3D. And, uh, oh, yeah, it has, like, all the stuff. It has 4K, it has HDR, and it has the, like, high frame rate stuff that James Cameron put into the theatrical release, which not every theater supported. So it is the best presentation of that movie that you can see right now. I honestly thought I'd never be able to see the movie like that. And it actually looks better than the theater because you don't have shades um, blocking, you know, the brightness of the review, of your view. And also projectors have to be uh, less bright because they also have like a 3D filter over them to make that work. So just the sheer brightness, the fact that you can get all this stuff going to get 3D video going is I am astounded that that works so well. But again, it's one of those things like is Apple going to fix this market that was just kind of dead for a while? What's up, Ben? Counterpoint. It made me feel seasick, and I am not yes. one to feel seasick easily I, in I was, VR. I was going to say, I didn't feel seasick, but I was watching one scene specifically where the camera was, like, right at water level, and the waves would, like, go up and down, and I felt myself, like, physically, like, trying to raise my head above water, even though that wasn't going to make any difference, but it's, like, it, it's interesting. <laughs> Don't how, worry, like, Sam, the train isn't coming directly at you. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and so, but it's, like, it's, like... Oh man, like that's how you know when the 3D is having a like tangible effect when it's like it's having a like making you move differently, even though you very much know that you're not on, you know, the avatar planet or whatever. Mm -hmm. So my main takeaway is that this is very early technology. Please don't buy it. Uh, I am thinking of an 80 score for this, but also when you, when you apply a 5,000 word review to something that gets an 80, that's still interesting. Like clearly what Apple is doing, like there is something here. Um, real quick, the batteries, like the external battery pack is annoying. I wish it was longer. It's like two to two and a half hours, depending on what you're doing. I will say for the actual use cases of where you're sitting at a couch or you're at your desk or something, I think you will just like be able to plug into power or leave it plugged in while you're doing the work. Like this is not a walking around the neighborhood device. This is barely a walking around the house device, you know? So no hot even swapping batteries, that, which I was kind yeah. of disappointed. It's, it's more for like, hey, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go and get up and get a drink and I don't have to take the headset off if I don't feel like yeah. it. I hear you saying, I hear you, Ben, that a hot swappable battery would be nice, but I also feel like that is, that's the sort of like extra step Apple doesn't even want you to think about. They want you to be like, okay, here's the battery, plug it in. Just, that's all. That's all you have to worry about. You can take out the plug that's connected to the battery by hitting, there's like a little uh, SIM card pin like next to the port. And when you pop it out, it's actually like a super big lightning cable. It's a very strange thing. So, the cable is not permanently attached to the battery. That's cool. That's really all I ask for. But hot swapping is like, you know, that's a tough okay, ask because there's no battery can on the headset you, itself. Yeah. Can you run the Vision Pro for a little bit? Let's say like you 
realized that your battery is running out or something and you're like, oh crap, I, there's still stuff that I want to do and you want to plug into the wall. Can you unplug the battery and plug into the wall without the Vision no, no, Pro no, turning no. off? There, there's the, the battery pack is the thing. No, okay, you plug, so that's you what's plug the battery into the wall. I don't, but Ben, I don't understand. Like, how is that different than just plugging the battery into the wall? That's That's what I'm saying. You plug the battery into power, you know, rather than plugging the Vision Pro into power. So, yeah. I think it's one of those things where we know old tech, you know, we know computers that used to have swappable batteries and stuff and like that used to be cool. But I don't, yeah, I don't think it's like the big, big thing. Do you guys have any takeaways from this thing? Because I will direct our listeners, go read my extra long review. I have so many thoughts in there. It is too big. It's uncomfortable. I think that's like the main problem with wearing it. But also, it is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen from Apple or really any tech company. So, hey, do you guys have any, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I do want to uh, kind of highlight the, the heaviness thing because even like Apple has clearly done a lot to save the weight. Um, unless I'm mistaken, the front like uh, display panel, that's plastic instead of glass. So even though all those little things, but it's definitely <laughs> it still heavy. It's, it's all glass. It's okay. all glass, buddy. Or at um, least that front part. Yeah. Yeah. And but like even I was wearing it for, you know, 20, 25 minutes yesterday and like your neck was definitely sore. You know, if I think if you use this thing, you would probably build up the strength over time, so that wouldn't be an issue. But it, it definitely feels heavy. And then the other thing that, like, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about is that I feel like if Meta had made the Meta Quest Pro and then made it thirty five hundred dollars or four thousand dollars instead of you know fifteen hundred dollars like it was on launch, they could have possibly done something that had at least the display fidelity of the Vision Pro, but. Two things uh, wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to do. I don't think it would have been nearly as polished from a user experience standpoint, and that's a big thing. And the other thing is, I don't think they would have garnered nearly the same amount of hype because when when the when the Quest Pro came out, people were angry, like like very frustrated that it cost fifteen hundred dollars. And then here comes the Vision Pro starting at thirty five hundred dollars, and people are like, "Oh, everyone's gonna buy it." You know, their pre orders were like close to two hundred thousand. Yeah. And like, but Apple, and I think. The difference is Apple showed you the Vision Pro doing things that are different, whereas Meta failed to show us the Quest Pro doing yes, very much. And we and, knew and, the, the Quests were cheaper, right? So. Absolutely. And, and I think this goes to kind of show how effective Apple it is at, number one, just you know coming up with interesting new cases, but also explaining it and, and to a certain extent marketing their device in a way that, hey, this they, they're able to separate this thing as... Yes, there have been other headsets before, but we're doing it differently, and let, let us show you how it's different. And I think – so it's really interesting to see the different approaches and the different receptions we have to, you know, of what is otherwise a flagship headset from Meta and then now the Vision Pro. So after we finished up and I left the office last night, I sent a text to Dev saying – Wearing the Vision Pro made me feel like I had regressed to infancy. I was amazed by everything I saw, and my head was too heavy for my neck. That's true. And but that's true of every VR headset, <laughs> I will say. Like, that's just seeing VR for the first time. I yeah. think that this is, like, more pronounced than it was before, though. Because for a little while afterward, I felt a little like, okay, is this reality? And that's not even like, you know, head too heavy for neck, but I was a little confused about what is reality and what wasn't in just the subtlest way. 
And also, yeah, my neck was tired for hours afterward. Let's <laughs> also be real. I'm doing gymnastics for adult beginners a couple of days before, but oh, I was okay. not working. No, I was not working my neck out that much. And it was also, that was on Tuesday. Yeah, that was on Tuesday night. I was uh, interacting with the Vision Pro on Wednesday night. So I, I think that I had completely recovered by then. And Your still, my neck was... Ben. <laughs> my the body keeps the score even when yeah. you're when you're uh, wearing the vision pro for like 20 minutes mm -hmm. or something but yeah. it it was really heavy it was mm -hmm. really heavy and i can't see anyone being really excited to wear this for several hours a day every day because mm -hmm. oh we didn't even talk about the straps all the ads say only one strap. You're going to want the secondary strap that goes over your head. Yeah, you need that. Mm -hmm. Even when you're talking about just like the heaviness of the thing over your eyes, even with all of the padding that they have for your face, it still kind of cuts into your face. It, it does. It does. There are face cushions that are a little thicker, but when mm. I use it, it uh, I get a warning saying my eyes are too far from the actual lenses. So I think that's for different face types. So I have to suffer with the this. This is why I chose this cushion. It's the shallowest cushion. Okay. And it does feel like it's cutting into the top of my cheekbone just a little bit. So I would love for that to be not not feeling like yeah, that. Yeah, there, there were some people yeah. talking about using the Vision Pro without any face cushions yes. at all, which seems like a mistake. But the fact that it's like even like kind of an entertaining idea shows you that like there's, you know, there's definitely still some refinement that Apple has to do in terms of like the fit and the closeness um, of the optics. The super nerds are going crazy on, on Reddit, basically. Like, they're like, just take off the face the the face cushion, and then you have, like, just basically the bare Vision Pro lenses uh, centimeters from your eyes. I would not recommend that, because if something happens to the front of your headset, like, that is damage, like, straight to your, to your cornea or something like that. That's not <laughs> great. But I did try it, and it works. It's just super uncomfortable. Like, you get a bigger field of view because um, you're just much closer to the lenses. Yeah. So this is absolutely a first world problem. Oh, the three thousand dollar VR AR headset is hurts hurts my face. But if Apple is selling this as something that you can use every single day, that's something to think about. <laughs> I, I mean, it definitely is. And also, this is not something you're going to wear all day. I think this is like I'm going to sit down and have a work session. You know. So when I was writing, uh, I have like a laptop stand in my kitchen that I use for like stand up writing. I was there for two hours one night, just like, I have all these windows around me. This is beautiful. I can type. I can do all this stuff. And I felt so empowered. And to me, that is like the ultimate goal of a lot of this technology, too, to make us better without like, you know, changing our work clothes too much. And I think that's what this does. We didn't talk about games. I think the game, like the basic lineup here is not uh, super impressive. There's Fruit Ninja. There's What the Golf, which just feel like they're translated a little bit into spatial um, there are a handful of games, like $20 puzzle games, that take advantage of spatial computing, but they're they're not really must-haves. And I think Apple, historically, not great with games, and it feels like we're, we're just kind of repeating that. You can do game streaming via the Vision Pro. You can, like, pair your Xbox or PlayStation controller to it. Uh, there are a couple apps. There's one called Nexus, which people use for uh, Xbox game streaming, but also NVIDIA GeForce Now game streaming works, and that is a service that does 4K streaming. So I didn't get to try that out too much. Um, I want to see what Call of Duty looks like on this thing. I mean, it, it'll it just be a big screen. Like, as long as you have good cloud connectivity, that is just a video stream coming to you. And the Vision Pro does it does the, like, input stuff. So, yeah, I need to spend a little more time on that stuff. But the native gaming, just kind of not there. 
please don't buy this thing. Anybody like watch the content. Uh, what I will recommend is um, anybody can schedule a demo at the Apple Store. Just go online, uh, pick a pick an appointment, and spend some time with it. And I think it is worth doing that demo to see what Apple's pitching here. If you're really intrigued by this thing, uh, consider a Quest Three, which can do similar things, especially when it comes to like AR pass through, um, but has more experiences, more games. Um, you could still watch movies on that thing too. And it's much, much cheaper. It's $500. The Quest 2 even is on sale for like under around 200 from what I can see. So there are other ways to like test out VR. You don't have to spend $3,500 for the Vision Pro, but it's a wild thing to see Apple do. So we'll keep talking about it. I feel like even after spending a week with it, like that is not enough time to review this product. Like it's going to keep changing. It's going to keep improving. So it feels like I just have to keep reviewing it every couple weeks or every month or something. I'm not going to do that. But it is such a big swing for Apple that, you know, I can't help but be fascinated by it. Check out our review on the website. It should be up by now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's chat about some other news. Uh, there is a lot of hubbub going out, uh, going around now about Microsoft and what it's doing with Xbox games. There were rumors uh, from other sites that I, uh, a site I'm not super familiar with, but uh, one site said that Starfield could be coming to the PlayStation 5. And then I believe The Verge also reported that Indiana Jones, that was a new game that Microsoft just showed off, could also be coming to the PlayStation 5 and other platforms. Um, after that, there was a lot of hubbub online and Microsoft announced, uh, Phil Spencer announced that they're going to be having a business update next week talking about the details about the vision of the future of Xbox. So do you guys care at all if Xbox games come to other platforms? Is this a good idea, a good idea for Microsoft or a short-sighted one? I think this just makes sense. You want, you know, more games to be available on more platforms. But I think, you know, this, this event is sort of, you know, a big deal only because uh, this is kind of the first big public statement from Microsoft and the Xbox team since the Activision uh, uh, acquisition. Sure. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of that plays into it. And, you know... Obviously, that also affects, you know, availability for like, you know, older titles that have been acquired through that deal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Microsoft is choosing to expand it. But like, you know, even recently, like I heard, uh, you know, I don't think Microsoft is in like a panic situation because, you know, people are talking about Power World is out there. It's huge. And the whoever uh, I saw one person say whoever signed Power World to the Microsoft Game Pass uh deal is probably having the best year ever um just on based on the numbers that Power is doing so it'll be interesting to see you know how microsoft is gonna do 
and, and approach distribution going forward. But I'm not not w- looking for any like you know game changing industry uh, announcements. Right. It is funny to see the Xbox heads and basically gamers like freak out about this because uh, for, for people still have way unhealthy relationships with their gaming brand. Um, <laughs> the the gaming tribalism is, is strong, yeah. I mean, I remember this from the like Nintendo and Sega days on the playground, you know, but it is wild like how it's just like metastasized on the internet. Um, if Xbox consoles were selling better, if Game Pass subscriptions were actually rising, I don't think Microsoft would have done this. So th- this does feel like a business move by saying like, hey, we have these games. It'd be cool if people, more people were able to buy these games. And I think that's purely it. And that's probably the thing Microsoft has. It can't be so precious about like where its games are. Um, but I also feel like uh, they just kind of missed this entire generation, right? Like I think the Series X is a great piece of hardware, but they didn't have the games. And now we are four years into the launch of this thing. And the game's have been delayed or the big titles we've been waiting for have been kind of misses and not really satisfying like Starfield and Redfall. Halo Infinite is good, but it was delayed by a full year. Um, it's just like f- miss after miss L after L for Microsoft for this generation. And it feels like this is an acceptance of like, Hey, PlayStation five and one, they have sold so many. Um, please uh, let those people buy our games. I feel like that's the main thing here. Don't freak out about it folks. But you know, if you have, if you have thoughts about this, email us or about the uh, the Vision Pro. Email us at podcast@engadget.com. There's also a story this week about a maliciously edited video of President Joe Biden um, that basically showed him. Uh, it looked like he was groping a young girl, but it turned out the original video is him putting the "I Voted" sticker on his granddaughter from several years ago. But it's like re-edited and looped, so it looks like he's doing it over and over again. Um, gross stuff. And according to Meta's oversight board. It's allowable on Facebook. You can just you can just leave it up there. Um, apparently, the oversight board is urging Meta to update its policy around manipulated media because they're calling it, quote, incoherent. Uh, right now, that policy is down to AI edited media. So if you're using AI tools to create something like this, that's a no-no on Facebook. They will kill it. But because it looks like this was just like clunkily just an edit. It is just a edit of a loop of video, like going back and forth because they didn't use AI tools. It's not like misrepresented media. And I do agree with the oversight board that that's incoherent. That's insane. Yeah, no, that's yeah. wild to me. Like you're so worried about AI and like, I guess, deep fakes and all of that, that you completely ignore everything else. It happens so much easier without AI. Yeah. It's the classic loophole. We, we've written rules for what not to do with AI, but everything else, oh, it's just a free-for-all. We've mm-hmm. Well, no, it's basically we've written rules. Yeah. Like, there are rules. Rule exists. You just don't need to, uh, like, worry about it if it isn't violating that one rule. Yeah, what's confusing is that the board ultimately sided with Meta about the decision not to remove the clip. But the board is also like, we're doing this because we are just working within the rules, right? We are working within the rules you've given us, but the rules are garbage. So they are calling for that to be rewritten at some point. So, you know, that's that's something. Um, ben, you had pointed to the study, too, that says uh, an increased number of Americans aren't happy with inaccurate news on social media. So that is is a sign that people are aware that this could be a problem, but I don't know if that necessarily is enough. Any thoughts? I mean, I'm happy that it went, that the number of people who are unhappy with inaccurate news on social 
went up by almost 10 percentage points because like Pew did a similar study in 2018 and it showed that 31% of people weren't happy. Just recently, at the end of 2023, it went up to 40%. That's great. I think that might mean that there's a little bit more media literacy creeping into American lives, which is always nice. But it's not going to change the fact that the average American gets most of their news via social. And that is the classic problem of, what is it? Like, a lie can get halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its pants on? That sounds about right. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And we're in an election year, so, you know, I I will take whatever I can get at this point. But... Yeah, I'm not looking forward to this new cycle. It's going to be hell until the election and afterwards, most likely. We've got another story, too, about Taylor Swift. Uh, She is among the other celebrities who do not want their private jets being tracked by the guy who ran the Elon Jet account. This is a tough story because it's like, I understand. I understand these folks want the need for privacy and everything, but also it's because they're traveling in private jets, which are killing us and the planet, and it's because the information is public. Um, By stopping these accounts, you don't necessarily, like, stop people from tracking. It just makes it less available, you know. I it's annoying, but also Taylor Swift is like one of the, the, I don't know, the most popular person on the planet. So I can understand why she wants to feel, you know, more concerned about her safety too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's like, yes, there is like a generally good, you know, uh, desire for caution. But at the same time, a lot of these times she's flying to her very public concerts. Like, like it's not going to be a surprise when Taylor Swift shows up at the Super Bowl to cheer, uh, cheer on uh, Travis Kelsey. But, you know, at the same time, you know, she has taken a, a decent amount of heat for the amount of times that she uses her jet or is lending her jet out to other people and, you know, the environmental impacts of this. And it's like, you know, on some respect, it's like this this person is trying to hold her a little bit accountable for, you know, what she is doing with her plane. And yeah, the, the, the legal argument is actually kind of like they really hone in on the safety aspect, but like it, that's not all there is to it. Um, yeah. it's, it's a much bigger it, story. It kind of hurts her image is the thing. Like I, I've i basically like put a mental moratorium on all things involving uh, Taylor Swift except for when she won the Grammy again. And I'm like, well, okay, again. Um, but big even, even that, like for, for, the, for the whole Taylor yeah. Taylor verse, there was drama about that because like did yes. she snub Celine Dion when she went to accept her award no, or not? And it's I like, don't. okay, yeah. yeah no, it, that, it, then we're getting into a whole another – talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, but just so, the, it's just so dumb. Yeah. The stuff that is worth talking about is one, on like defending Taylor Swift for just a second, she did have a stalker. Uh, that yes. was arrested just within the last few months. If you were flying commercial, even if you're flying private with other like with other business people or other rich people, I believe those are not tracked. It is specifically private jets that the, that the, these folks are dealing with. Uh, so uh, it's it's like yes, she's going to her concerts, but also if Taylor Swift wants to take a vacation to to the Bahamas or something, maybe she doesn't want people to be aware of that and like follow her there or something. It's all viable. It's just man. What a what a mess. Let's move on to our pop culture, or actually what we're working on this week. Sam, what else are you working on? I just got in the Razorblade 14 uh, to review, so I'm uh, working on that. And I'm looking forward to more of the cool stuff that we saw at CES coming in soon. Uh, that includes stuff like the Zen Book Duo. And then, of course, MWC is in uh, a few weeks, so we're expecting some new announcements from, uh, from that event, too. Cool, cool, cool. My review of the Vision Pro should be up by the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, I'm also working on a video that I'm actually in New York in our office right now to shoot this video. 
So you can check that out on YouTube. Um, you know, it's basically going to be a re-encapsulation of the review, but also I've got some rants in me, certainly about the way people are using this thing in public. So check that out too. Let's move on to our pop culture picks of the week. Sam, what you got? Yeah, and I... I, I... I'm, I'm, I imagine you've uh, mentioned this before, but I'm watching. I mentioned it Mr- last week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith show, uh, w- which has just been just really fun, and just I like the the pacing, and I like, you know, it, they're not afraid to let the show be awkward in a way that like I kind of appreciate. Um, so yeah, having a blast with that. It's cool. It's super cool. Um, I will reiterate. I think it's the best thing on TV right now. Um, I am noticing, uh, so first of all, go check that out. That's on Amazon Prime Video. I think the ads do apply if you don't pay for the extra, you know, ad-free tier. So be aware of that. But the action is good. The writing is good. The characters are good. Um, It's fun and funny, but also thoughtful and meaningful. And that's all good stuff. So it kind of does everything I love with the spy genre, but also does a little more as a relationship genre, too. Uh, I want to shout out, uh, just reiterate, like, hey, you should all be watching the new season of True Detective. I am seeing really weird takes online uh this is a six episode you know season of this show and people are just like so annoyed that it's taking its time telling stories whereas i I was lucky enough to like binge through the screeners and i didn't really feel this heat but also i was binging it because it was so good because like there was enough happening to make me interested in what was happening next and it is really weird to see the online reaction to the show i don't know what it is but I don't know if it's like True Detective season one fans or because it's a show about two women now, like they're they're just like annoyed about it. Uh, but I haven't seen so many complaints about this thing. And I still think it is a perfect piece of like winter noir. There is a wonderful subgenre of noir, which is like things are cold and bad and there's like evil in the world. And this does a very good job of that. So I still recommend checking out True Detective, the new season on HBO Max. All right, thank you for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by me, Ben Elman. You can find Sam at... on, And I'm just going to say X now because that's what it is going forward, at Sam Rutherford. You can find Devendra at... I'm at Devendra on pretty much all the sites. Uh, Twitter, Mastodon, Blue Sky. I'm on threads, but I will say this every week. I will not engage with you on threads. Sorry. Don't even try to find me on the internet these days. I'm just the producer. Send us an email about what you think about Apple's Vision Pro at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. We'll see you next week.